The following episode may not be appropriate for all listeners as it contains graphic descriptions. Welcome back, listeners, to the Modern History HSC podcast. What does hyperbolic chambers with people inside pressurize finding out the point to when their eyes pop out and freezing limbs to study the results and dissecting people while they're still alive all have in common? Well, until yesterday, I didn't think that there was anything that they had in common. But it turns out, when you go down a good rabbit hole, you find things that sometimes you wish you hadn't found. The thing that they have in common is a secret bioweapons facility from World War II run by the Japanese Empire called Unit 731. Before we get too deep into the weeds and the nitty-gritty and all the horror of Unit 731, I wanted to talk about how I got here and potentially what you can find when you go down a Wikipedia rabbit hole. Um, so, currently I'm preparing some content uh, for looking at the war in the Pacific, looking at the Battle of the Coral Sea, and in looking at the Battle of the Coral Sea, I was trying to come up with maybe about a page or so of information about its cause. So, cause of the Coral Sea, you could arguably link that to the Doolittle Raids. Now, if you're not familiar with the Doolittle Raids, this is a bit of a propaganda stunt, a morale boost for the Americans, where a aircraft carrier is sent to the eastern side of Japan, uh, Commander Doolittle and his team of about 80 men send a bombing raid across Tokyo to strike civilian targets, basically to put the Japanese on notice that, you know, you're not beyond us, we're coming to get you, and it's only a matter of time to kind of put the fear of God into them. And this plan is high stakes. The bomber planes are American uh, Army bomber planes, so they're not Navy fitted out or equipped. They've never been tested in uh, being deployed from aircraft carriers. So when this takes place, the bombers have to take off on the open sea from the aircraft carriers, fly over Tokyo, no fighter escort, drop the bombs, and then they have to ditch into uh, Japanese-occupied China. And once they do that, they then need to hook up with and link up with um, Chinese sympathizers, people who are supporting the Allies, and then they will try to get um, these pilots out of the country and back to safety. Before we get to that bit, why is this linking to the Coral Sea? Well, during this bombing raid, it provides more fuel to the fire and more energy, I guess, to the concerns of Yamamoto. So Yamamoto, after the attack of Pearl Harbor, we know about his concerns that it, we believe that we've now woken the sleeping giant. We haven't completed um, all our objectives. The carrier fleets uh, were not in Pearl Harbor and they are a massive risk to our expansion. But there hadn't been a huge amount of concern until this attack. And specifically, one of the bombers scoring a hit with inside the grounds of the Imperial Palace. Now, this is particularly... Um, I guess dicey for the Japanese because if it turned out that one of these bombs that the Japanese were wholly unprepared for found its way to the Imperial Palace and killed Emperor Hirohito well under Japanese 
Bushido samurai tradition, if your daimyo or your shogun or your master is killed, the people responsible for his safety to redeem themselves need to commit seppuku, which is ritual sacrifice. So in that instance, in the Doolittle raids, if that bomb had not landed, say, in the gardens of the Imperial Palace, but had landed, you know, where Emperor Hirohito was, or he was out in the gardens just by happenstance, and he was killed, then the entire army and navy command would have had to have committed seppuku. So this has put them on notice. Now they're coming back to Yamamoto. Yes, Yamamoto, you're right. We need to get rid of these carriers. So then that way we're not coming under threat in this way again. That is why there is so much uh, pressure in pushing towards the Coral Sea. There is information there that there are some American carriers Yamamoto sends support down to the Coral Sea and we won't go too much into the battle because it's going to be getting away from the actual topic that we're here to talk about today. But let's go back to the pilots. So the pilots that have committed this Doolittle raid, they have ditched into China. Four of them have died on the flight and only four other crew members are going to perish within China proper. Um, one is going to die of disease and three of them are going to be executed but the remainder of the 80-man squadron including Doolittle himself are able to be aided by the Chinese um, and get out of the country which is quite amazing when you think about the figures of say American bomber pilots which at the same time are doing bombing raids over Germany where their survival um, percentage is incredibly incredibly low. So the Japanese are furious, as you would be. They've been put on notice, and the Coral Sea is where they're starting to lose their initiative, and they take their frustration out on the Chinese. They take their frustration out on the Chinese that are living in the region where the American pilots are ditching into, and they seek revenge in the Nanchen region. And I've just got a couple of quotes here from uh, Father Weedland Dunker, who was present at the time. Like a swarm of locusts, they left behind nothing but destruction and chaos. It is estimated that around about 250,000 civilians were killed due to random executions, torture, rape, and most sadistically, biological warfare by the Japanese Biological Warfare Unit 731, which was housed in northern China, which would have been occupied Manchuria at that time. This is the first time I've heard of this, and now this is where the rabbit hole has taken me. So, well, what is Unit 731? So you come up and you flick over to the page on Unit 731, and you realise that the Japanese, in a similar way to the Nazis, have got their own little house of horrors, well, large facility of horrors, the largest in the world at its time, conducting experiments on people who have been captured in China and people who have been captured um, in eastern Russia. And they're all and they're doing all kinds of horrible sadistic stuff, as we've said in the opening. Putting people in hyperbolic chambers, pressurizing them until their eyeballs come out. You know, what is the limits of human endurance? Frostbite was something that they were particularly interested in. Leaving captured individuals out in the cold 
until their limbs froze off so that they could record at what temperature and what time <laughs> so that they could then take that information and apply it to their own army's suspected or estimated durability. So using these people as guinea pigs and lab rats. Uh, there were guinea pigs and lab rats also in the facility, not just human beings, where they were injecting these creatures with all types of highly deadly diseases, diseases like typhus and the bubonic plague. This was also being tested on humans as well. Um, and the one that stood out to me as being the most horrific was the live dissections of human beings. So just like the way that you would have dissected a frog, except the frog is dead in class, they were applying these diseases, these deadly bacteria and these viruses to these human test subjects and then cutting them open to be able to study what is happening to the organs in real time. So horrible, horrible facility of nightmares. Um, the individual and i'm not going to lump all the blame on this individual but surely a good chunk of blame is going to go to this guy is the surgeon general and the head of unit 731 so we're just going to talk about this guy for a little bit so this gentleman shiro ishi he has gotten his medical degree from kyoto imperial university in his youth he's commissioned by the army in 1921 and he's a He's a brilliant guy. He is obsessed with medicine, science, experimentation, and the army pays for him to go back to do his postgrad studies at university. He's not very well at socializing. We have accounts that he's quite abrasive to his other students. Um, he's a bit of a loner. He's doing experiments at night. And he's also doing things like growing bacteria to have as pets in petri dishes. So like personalizing these um, little bacteria creations that he's making. So, you, you know, just normal stuff. When he gets out, he is made a army surgeon in 1925. And in 1927, Aishi begins pushing that Japan starts developing its own bioweapons program. He's pushing for this. The army's not very receptive in the very beginning, so he goes to the West to be able to study other bioweapons programs and use of bacteria and chemicals and all that sort of stuff, um, which was gaining popularity in different countries after the events of World War I. During this time, from 1927 to around about 1936, he is linking up and being introduced to the right people in the army. They're starting to become more sympathetic to Aishi's message about the bioweapons program. And Aishi has also got intense nationalism as well. So he's driven, he's brilliant, he's nationalistic, and he's also probably a full-blown psychopath. Um, that's only my last little bit of assessment at the end. Um, <laughs> if you want to disagree with me, you can put it in the comments, but as you're going to see, um, that might be a fair assessment. So less than 10 years after he has gone away in 1936, uh, he returns and he is given command of the unit 731 facility, which is now in occupied Northern China. 
where they're conducting all of these experiments. I usually would continue to rise through the ranks working in unit 731, um, deploying all manner of bioweapons and diseases uh, across the Chinese mainland, um, resulting in the deaths of, it's estimated to be anywhere from 200,000 to 400,000 people, 10,000 people within the facility alone, and he becomes Surgeon General by 1945. Now, 1945, this is the year that the Japanese surrender is going to come. So Aishi, the nationalist that he is, and him having control of the weapons and the knowledge that he now has across this span of time working at this bioweapons facility, uh, comes up with a plan. So Aishi develops a plan called Operation Cherry Blossoms at Night, otherwise known as Operation PX. This would involve the bombing of the plague, cholera, typhus, dengue fever, and spreading them across the west coast of the United States. So how would they do that? They would take submarines with seaborne planes, so packaged into the submarines. They would then take the submarines to the west coast, across the Pacific, construct the planes or reassemble the planes there and kit them out, drop the bombs of fleas, fleas were the carriers of these plagues and of these diseases, drop them across the cities with the Americans being unaware as the submarine has been able to supposedly in this plan avoided detection. And then the sub crew would also infect themselves and commit suicide by ramming into a harbour and ramming into the coast. This plan was finalised in March 26, 1945, only four months before the dropping of the atomic bomb. However, and this is where, you know, kind of like with the Russians not launching the nuclear bombs when they get the um, wrong information during the Cold War. You have these people who see that there is a red line, and the Japanese have this red line with their chief, General Yashiro, who, in his own words, come out and says something to the effect of, this will lead to an endless global battle between humanity and bacteria, and Japan will earn the derision and the hatred of the entire world if this takes place. Pretty, pretty uh, spot on, <laughs> I would say, that atomic weapons are one horrible thing that is going to come, but then the releasing of a bacteria or a new bubonic plague or combination of all of these terrible things into a built-up populace um, is just going to take it to a whole other level. Now, after the surrender of Japan, Aishi is just not planning to sit down on this. He's had his plan knocked back once, but now he's planning that with the US staging its troops in occupation of Japan, He's going to do one last ditch suicide biological weapons terrorist attack. So, you know, you've got us occupied, but this last bonsai charge of we're going to take a good chunk of you with us. This again is pushed back. This is pushed back by the high command, and he is advised by the higher ups that you just need to wait for a, for a new opportunity or wait for a different opportunity. This opportunity comes up, but not in the way that you would think, for Aishi and his, and his team that is involved. In 1948, against the protests of the Soviets under Joseph Stalin, 
the United States grants full immunity to the leadership and the doctors that are responsible for all of the experiments conducted in Unit 731. And they get immunity for war crimes at the Tokyo trials in exchange for full disclosure of all the research and all the insight that they have gained over the past, um, it would be close to a decade now. It is said by American scientists that this information is absolutely invaluable and would have never have been able to have been obtained within the United States. My first thought when reading that is, well, yeah, no shit. Well, <laughs> maybe it's probably a great idea that we just are not able to obtain this information and get you thinking like, you know, where are the heroes in this situation that you like what they're doing with Operation Paperclip and taking these Nazi scientists and these butchers and these war criminals back to the United States and taking um, their secrets. It's, they're doing the same thing with the Japanese and this is particularly... I was going to say particularly disgusting, but it's all disgusting. So it's like, what is going on here? And you could stop with that thought. But then, reading into it a little bit more, here comes the rationale, and like the dropping of the atomic bomb, the rationale of the American military is this, that if we take Unit 731 to trial, this is going to be a public global trial, the information that they have gathered about the use of biological warfare, weapons and disease and experimentation is going to be put on display for all the world to see. And this information is so sensitive and so dangerous in the wrong hands, potentially, that better to give these individuals immunity and keep them in-house within the United States where this information can be put under lock and key, can be controlled, rather than have it be put on display in the Tokyo trials where, for the Americans, their big worry is that the Soviets are going to get it and they're going to use it, but any manner of different groups will get this information and use it. So, I mean, at the time, with all the horrors going on, I do need to give some sort of, some sort of agreeance to that type of thought don't like the idea of war criminals being let go being given immunity but all the other evidence apart from these testimonies at unit 731 was destroyed by the japanese so this is the last of the information so if they're given over to be interrogated and tortured by the soviets did they get the information what did they do with it um but in hindsight do the americans end up using the information it's unclear. The Americans did not have a bio-warfare um, program that was anywhere near this sophistication. Uh, Franklin D. Roosevelt only set one up in 1942, so the Americans were well and truly on the back foot. So maybe there were some planners who said, you know, we're so far behind. Um, yes, we have the advantage with the atomic bomb, but this is something different. We, this is a way of um, easily obtaining the information and getting the edge over our rivals. There is alleged incidents by the Chinese and the North Koreans that the Americans use bio-warfare and disease, um, I guess, tactics 
during the Korean War, and this has been collaborated by different sources. Um, but we can see that apart from that particular case that I've just brought up there, the Americans are not, you know, known for launching biowarfare attacks on major city centers or anything to that nature. Could come to the light of day in the future, but to this time, we just don't know. So that's it from me for the story of Unit 731 and the Japanese House of Horrors run by Aishi, the General Surgeon of Japan. Um, what do you think about this? Would you give a group like this immunity if you were MacArthur in Japan? Would you agree with the Americans or would you be agreeing with the Soviets? I'd be really interested to see what the community thinks. So you can comment on our Instagram page. You can comment in this Spotify. Um, if you're listening on Spotify, down in the comment question below. Um, because this is just one of these tricky, dicey, you know, it's not black and white things about history that doing these thought experiments can help us really figure out, I guess, the world around us, just like our tagline says. Thank you for listening to the Modern History HSC podcast. I'm your host, Blake Hamilton. Enjoy your school holidays. Goodbye.